Hi, this is Sean Grigsby, and welcome to Cosmic Dragon. This is episode 28, and today we're going to be talking to Jamie Davis. He has a lot of books. You'll hear exactly how much in just a second. And uh, he is a former paramedic, he's a current nurse, and very prolific author. I'm telling you, you, you'll want to listen to this podcast just to hear how many books this guy turns out. Before we jump into the interview, though, I do want to let you know about my books. If you're not aware yet, I have Smoke Eaters from Angry Robot Books. That is about firefighters versus dragons in the future. And uh, I also have Daughters of Forgotten Light from Angry Robot as well. That is about all-women motorcycle gangs in space. It's like Bitch Planet meets Tron meets Sons of Anarchy. Very grindhouse, very cool, very awesome. And uh, yeah, check it out. You can get it anywhere, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, wherever. Uh, the paperback is only a dollar more than the ebook, so either way you prefer to read, you can check it out. Ash Kickers is a sequel to Smoke Eaters, and that's coming out July 9th of 2019. Just a few months away, and uh, check that out as well. But that's enough about me. Let's jump into our interview with Jamie Davis. Let's do a podcast. That's kind of how it worked for me in the beginning. I mean, I was just, you know, back in 2005, there were like very few medical podcasts and no EMS podcasts. And I was like... I was like, well, I, I need, I'm in a rural area. Anything I can do to try to keep myself fresh on, you know, knowledge and current research and stuff was helping me be a better paramedic. So I was like, I'll just do a podcast and I'll talk about the stuff I'm trying to learn. So yeah, for that's sure. how the Medicast started. Yeah. I tried to do a, a firefighter podcast, but I don't know. It just didn't, it didn't work out. And this is something I'm more, you know, firefighting is great, but this uh, science fiction fantasy books yeah. writing that that's that's more my jam uh it's, at least i can talk about it um uh, at, at more of a uh, length than i could about. oh no no and and it you know that that quickly became a, a job i mean it turned into good income for me but it was a lot of work i mean i was traveling all the time to conferences and had at one point had seven different weekly podcasts going at the same time and holy shit it was a mess. Wow. So, I mean, it was good. I mean, I, you know, I had sponsors for all of them, and you know, it was nice. But it, I'm, I'm glad I was able to replace that with, with, uh, with book writing. So. so, so how did you end up getting um, sponsors for your podcast? Like, did you approach people, or did they approach yeah. you? Yeah. Well, I started going to the EMS conferences. I'd been going to the lo- closest one I had to me every year anyway. And then um, I just started going to both um, – EMS Today and EMS World Expo and um, just started walking the floor and talking to spot, talking to different vendors about, hey, I've got a podcast, you know, you want to come on? And I just offer them a free chance to talk about their product. Um, and after doing that for about a year, um, actually Physio Control was my big sponsor for almost 10 years. So, um, and then they got bought out by Stryker, and they restructured their whole advertising program. So that kind of went away. But that was that was uh, one of my biggest sponsors for for both the EMS and my nursing podcast. So that was nice. Cool. I'm not yeah. sure who I'd get to sponsor on here. I'd have to be. Well, you can't be too picky if they're giving you money. But I guess you can. It's your podcast. It's your podcast. I uh, my my advice to podcasters about advertising is you know value your audience. If you if you get offered something from a company that you think is valuable to your audience of, of value in some way, um, 
then go for it because they're going to appreciate that you've got something for them. But if it's, you know, selling, you know, herbal male enhancement products over the, you know, over your podcast, it's not worth the dollars you're going to get. Unless that's the type of, you know, information. Unless that's the kind you've of podcast g- you're running. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't sell out, I guess is, is a good yeah. Yeah. Uh, piece of advice as far as that goes. Um, you know, firefighters, actually, you, you're a former paramedic. Yeah. Uh, and currently a nurse, mm-hmm. you know, firefighters have a nickname for paramedics. Do you, could you guess what that might be? Oh, geez, I don't know. I wouldn't know what the hose beaters call us. <laughs> hose beaters. Well, uh, pa- <laughs> we call you guys paragods. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty good. Uh, believe me. I, when I teach, when I teach paramedics and, and EMTs and stuff, I, I'm constantly point out to the paramedics that it's the EMTs that save their butts time and again. So they should remember when they were EMTs. So, oh yeah, for sure. Like I have huge respect for paramedics. I mean, I'm required to be an EMT as part of uh, the fire department, but uh, and some fire departments require the guys and women to be paramedics as well. But I don't want to go through all that uh, pharmacology bullshit, <laughs> you know. And and my wife, who's a nurse, said that I have very, I'm very uh, strong-handed, and I'd be terrible at uh, putting in IVs. Oh wow! And yeah, I was like, hey, "What are you talking about?" I Takes could do a that. Touch. Yeah, I don't know. It takes practice. Um, I'm good at intubating. It, at the first few tries, uh, I wasn't. <laughs> it was terrible. But now they got the the cool thing with the camera in it. See, I had to learn it without the camera. Yeah. Oh, that's terrible. They, uh, they make that makes a, it makes a huge difference in so many ways. Jamie, um, not to throw things on you, but uh, let's—we're already in the podcast. If that's cool with you, that's cool. Uh, with me. And uh, just to let listeners know, again, we're here with Jamie Davis, who is—if uh, you couldn't gather by the conversation we were having—a uh, former paramedic, current nurse, now RN or LPN? RN. Uh, okay, that's what my wife. Is. She's PRN right now, okay. uh, and uh, also an author, obviously, because he's on this podcast. And a lot of books. I was just looking over the books, and um, we'll talk about whichever ones you want. But holy shit, there's a lot. You have written a ton. How many books uh, have you published? Um, I think um, book 30 will come out um, the end of this week, actually. Good grief. And how many years had that taken? Since about 2014. Whoa, 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 whoa. So basically four and a half years? Five? Yeah. yeah. Holy cow, man. <laughs> That's a lot. Now, how, a lot how, of stories in me. That I mean, I feel the same way, but I finish like two a year. Damn, that well, is. And, you know, and first of all, I gotta say, you know, I'd never tell anyone to judge their level of output and production by me, and I don't judge my level of output and production by anyone else because, you know, we all we've all got our own road to hoe in this thing, and and it's 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 you know each of us has to come about it in our own direction. Um, I do a lot of dictatings, so I can. Get, I can crank out stories pretty quickly because I dictate the first draft, and that means I can put a, you know, I can put hundred thousand words on a page in in about in about two weeks. So, wow, yeah. not me. <laughs> it's still got to be edited. I mean, you know, oh yeah, it's, it's it's got the bulk of the story down, and for me, that's half the battle. The rest of it's just clean up. So, are you a discovery or pantser uh, kind of writer, or do you plot things out? 
I'm about midway in between, you know, I, I consider it, you know, I consider it like a spectrum, you know, and, and there, I'm, there are very few pure p- pantsers out there and there are very few pure plotters out there. Um, and, and I think all of us fall, fall somewhere along the spectrum in between. I'm about right down the middle. I, I write, I write a plot outline where I put down about two to three sentences for each chapter. And then I write from that. So, it gives me a direction to go in and I know kind of how the chapter is supposed to start based on the previous chapter. And I know where I want to get to in the chapter and everything else comes out of my brain along the way. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good hybrid approach there to where you're, you're not completely directionless, but yeah. uh, you, you let things flow as they might. Now you, you are self-published. Is that correct? Yes. What, what uh, was the decision process, or was there a decision process to where you, I mean, had, had you tried traditional publishing or was it always self-publishing? I hadn't even tried. You know, it's, I'm, I've been an entrepreneur in various ventures all my life. And so when it came time, I actually got dared to put my first book out, which is actually, um, interestingly enough, we talked about pharmacology earlier. Uh, it's, a, it's a medication dosing handbook for nurses and paramedics. Nice. Um, and I got dared to put it out because I'd been teaching it on my podcast for a while. And somebody said, you should write that down and put it in a book. So I did. It's, it's only 50 pages long. And I put it out on the internet and sold like a boatload of them on Amazon. Um, and I was like, well, heck, you know, I don't need to go get a publisher for this. I don't need to go to Lippincott or any of the big, you know, Simon & Schuster or any of those to, to publish my textbook. So, in, so, quote unquote, I can do it myself. And that's actually been a top seller for me ever since I did that. And um, so I got into then I said, well, I can let's try um, fiction. And uh, somebody dared me in 2014 to do NaNoWriMo for the first time, which if your audience doesn't know is National Novel Writing Month. Mm-hmm. And it basically dares people to write a 50,000 word story in 30 days of November each year. And uh, I wrote about 58,000 words of my very first novel in that November. Um, And that was the very first book I released called Extreme Medical Services about a paramedic who treats supernatural creatures in his town. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I got that idea because I wrote a lot of midnight shifts with some really weird people on the ambulance. And, you know, I'd, I used to joke with people, you know, what, you know, that one, that guy's probably a werewolf. We just don't know it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so urban fantasy is what I'm hearing. It kind of sounds yeah. like most yeah. of my stuff's urban fantasy. Um, I do some game lit, uh, epic fantasy kind of stuff, but uh, the bulk of my books are urban fantasy. And uh, the most recent uh, paramedic book uh, did that, that came out in 2018, so last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was um, what was the title of that? Paramedics Doom. Paramedics Doom. Uh, now, is do you have more books in this series planned? You know, I, I at the time I wanted to wrap up the series a little bit just to kind of give some closure to a bunch of storylines because I hadn't put anything out in that series for a year and everyone was clamoring at me. When's the next book coming? When's the next book coming? So I wrote that one to kind of close some things out and close some loops. Um, but I always left it open. I mean, it's the kind of story I can always write more of. And uh, I've got a couple of ideas I'm actually going to be working on later this year to um, maybe do one, maybe two more books at least in that series. Very nice. Now, you know, one of the stigmas of self-published authors that uh, a lot of authors like you um, and uh, Rosemary A. Johns I just spoke with uh, not too long ago, you guys have 
awesome covers that are comparable to, if not better than, uh, some traditionally published books. Yeah, I, I'd actually argue that uh, some of the traditional publishing houses lately have been really falling down on the job where it comes to covers. I mean, I think they're just phoning it in sometimes um, because... You know, when I when I go out and contract for a cover, I want the very best cover I can because unlike the saying, people do actually judge a book by its cover, at least to the point that they stop and look at the description for the book. So if you don't have a cover that grabs somebody's eye right away, you're wasting your money. Yeah, especially so it's worth it for me to spend. I, I spend probably about three to four hundred dollars on a cover, but it's worth every penny. Totally. Because, yeah, yeah. If, you, if you didn't uh, invest, that's an investment. Mm -hmm. um, and especially with science fiction and fantasy, I mean, the covers are, are almost everything as far as the first impression. Um, you you kind of get an idea of what the book is about and, and, the, and the vibe coming from it. And I can't stand, you kind of mentioned, you know, traditional publishers uh, dropping the ball. I personally... I can't stand books where it's just words. You know, where's the art? Where's the yeah. <laughs> this you know, is science fiction a plain and fantasy? Colored background and some fancy, some fancy lettering for the words, and maybe like you know a circle or a shield or something. And it's like, you know, what's the story about? How am I supposed to know what the story's about from that? Exactly. Yeah. I, I can't stand it, and I hope I never <laughs> run into that situation because an uh, angry robot. Your are awesome. Thank you. Angry I was about to say Angry Robot is awesome at covers. Fantastic. I, I that's one of the reasons even before I got signed with them uh, that I loved reading their books is because their covers are just so damn amazing. And yeah, uh, with Smoke Eaters, you, you know what you're getting into. Well, some people didn't. But <laughs> yeah, but yeah, Firefighters and Dragons. I mean, just right there in the cover. Oh, and by the way, kudos on that concept. I mean, I can't believe nobody thought of that one. I mean, good for you because that's just such a natural <laughs> matchup in a fantasy genre. Well, thank you. Um, I was very pleased and surprised that I was the first. Uh, of course, there's a lot of uh, self-published romance out there where, like, a dragon is, you know, I, I, I don't. I'm not particularly into the whole dragon shifting into a human thing myself. But, uh, yeah, there's books out there, self-published romance, uh, where it's like a, a dude who's a firefighter who can transform into a dragon yeah. and, like, sleeps with the main characters. I don't know. It's always some dude with abs and, like, all yeah. sweat and, like, ashes you know, on their there's, there's, You know, firefighters are pretty fit. They're a lot more fit than a lot of EMS providers, that's for sure. But I don't see <laughs> so many washboard abs either. So. No, no, because firefighters like to eat as well. I mean, there's a few. There are a few. I, I myself was in a calendar, but I, I'm not, you know, Jay Cutler or, or Ronnie Coleman or anything. <laughs> I, you know, I, I lift and I try to do my best, but it, I can't, <laughs> I'm not that guy. And uh, yeah, that's a that's a total fantasy. And even if you're writing fantasy, I mean, come on. Um, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, so wh what uh, what other books have you got out that you want to talk about? Well, um, aside from that series, I've got a um, um, a series called The Broken Throne. That's five books. It's a complete wrap up wrapped up series. There won't be any more, but um, it's a it's a full story arc across all five books, and that's a that's about an alternate world where uh, magic is failing, and uh, basically the the combination of magic and technology is sapping the life from the world slowly, and so 
the continents are starting to fail. It's kind of dystopian in its look, outlook on the world. And it's about, it's kind of an Arthurian uh, storyline where um, it's all because magic was taken away when someone stole the sword Excalibur back in the day. And so it's all about Arthur's descendant coming back to, who happens to be a woman, coming back and recovering the artifact and using it to set things right. Oh, that sounds cool. Uh, th- have you seen The Kid Who Would Be King yet? Actually, I have not, but I'm going to. Oh, it's it's on my list it. to catch up with. Is it good? It was awesome. It, oh, cool. it was amazing. I mean, I don't care if people out there have kids or not. Uh, they need to go see it. The message behind it was fantastic. I mean, awesome. Patrick Stewart's in it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I totally loved it. Uh, and especially if, if you're into uh, Arthurian legend and things like that, loved it. Um, but yeah, your book sounds that sounds cool. Um, what what do you have planned ahead for some things that you're wanting to try? Anything anything new? Anything different? Uh, I'm working on a series right now that's going to start. At, the next book, the first book, will come out in March, um, and it's a um, it, it's a series that I. I I got challenged by one of my daughters to have a more diverse character base that, you know, I'm, I'm always, you know, all the characters are always the same, you know, they're, they're white males or females, um, you know, they're, they're heterosexual and just supposedly quote unquote normal. And she wanted me to be more diverse. So I decided to make it, I had an idea for a series and it's a sort of a, a near future cyberpunk kind of storyline so it's not even fantasy but um i'd had this idea of rocking around in my head about um what the future would be like when people start cybernetically enhancing their bodies and what would that mean for the world and i just thought i'd make the characters diverse but i wouldn't make it be about their diversity so um that's uh that's what the next book series is going to be about it's going to be called cybers change and uh, that's the first book in a trilogy that i have planned out for that Awesome! I love human augmentation. And 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 yeah. That, uh, well, that's what this whole fiction. that's what this is all about, and it really kind of looks at the ethics behind what that means, and that you know, if given just like everything in the world, when you have new technologies and new advancements, there are people who are diametrically opposed to it and think that you know someone who gets an enhancement is thereby giving up their humanity and um so it deals with a lot of tough subjects but in a way i think that is that is easier to swallow because it's science fiction and you know have you played any of the deus ex video games no oh you need to because it it falls right in line with that uh the whole i'm like a huge assassin's creed fan that's like the thing i wait for every year yeah but um I, I'll have to check out Deus Ex. Yeah, Deus Ex. Uh, I've uh, on Steam. I've got at least the games I'm able to play because I have an old computer <laughs> and, and the graphics card isn't up to date. But I've got a PS4 now. Uh, well, my kids, quote unquote, have the PS4. Um, but That's how you do it, too, isn't it? <laughs> my wife got so mad. She's like, "You just conned these kids into a PS4 just because you wanted one." I was like, "I mean, it's for everybody, but." <laughs> They were happy. I, they were ecstatic. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, was I. I, I completely. And my kids are grown, and I still managed to sneak in buying a PS4. So. <laughs> <laughs> in case right? they come I mean, visit. Hey, that's just killing two birds with one stone, or yeah. whatever. Uh, yeah. But uh, Deus Ex, the video games, um, the whole concept is in the future. It's science fiction, and uh, people are getting a human augmentation, and it's the same th- kind of thing where where you got like these. Uh, 
uh, activists against it, saying that they're losing their humanity and they don't want them a part of the society and things like that. And you play as as a uh, augmented human, oh, um, cool. so like your arm can turn into a gun or or, or you know stuff I like that. Yeah, it's funny. I hadn't even heard of that. So I'm, what? I'm, yeah, funny it's how been you around get an for idea a while. for a book, and then you turn around and you're like, oh, well, look at this. This is out there. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I took a little bit from Skyrim for smoking. <laughs> <laughs> I oh, mean, yeah. not enough there's, to there's, be look, sued I, over. I, I'm, I'm a firm believer, Sean. There are no new stories under the sun. I mean, there, you know, there. Are, every story is, falls into a few basic categories, and the rest of the details are all wrapped up in our collective mythology. It's like sandwiches. You know, whoever invented the Reuben. I mean, there was corned beef, there was sauerkraut, and there was bread, and, and Thousand Island, and Swiss cheese. But this dude just decided, yeah. or woman... I don't know who invented it. I'm going to look that up, actually. Uh, you know, <laughs> decided to put it all together. I mean, yeah, and the stories are the same way. Uh, so, that <laughs> I don't know why I used a sandwich analogy. but No, uh, that, that, you're absolutely right, though. I mean, all the pieces are out there, and it's up to us as authors to put the pieces together in new and interesting combinations and hopefully strike a chord with our readers. Yeah, and that, that's just kind of you know, not, like you said, nothing new under the sun, um, but the, but but using different elements and combining, it's like alchemy. Mm-hmm. You know, you di- you use different elements and you combine and you create something new. And uh, the, I, there's a book called um, Hitmaker or Hitmakers, I want to say, but it basically said that uh, people as a mass, as uh, media uh, ingesting people, uh, they want something new but at the same time something that seems familiar uh so i think that's a, that's a good example of doing that because you're, you're taking elements from all these different things that, and, and combining them to something brand new um and even if you th- like you said you thought that you, <laughs> you were the first one to do it that you know people say that smoke eaters is like rain of fire uh and backdraft well yeah it, it, you can compare anything to anything um but yeah, definitely check out Deus Ex. It's fun, and you could probably like uh, see comparisons to your own work, I guess. No, and, and actually, it sounds a lot like I don't know. Did you see Ghost in the Machine, the movie? Um, yes, yes. Yeah, it sounds similar. I mean, well, the original that the has anime. some elements in it too, with with the you know the enhancement and the putting a persona in a mechanical body or whatnot. So, right, all those things. Absolutely. So uh, one thing I like to ask my self-published guests, uh, because I think they would know more about it than my traditionally published guests, is marketing. Uh, because as a self-published person, you really, I mean, it's all on you for one, but it's getting the word out on the book and, and driving those sales um, is paramount for a self-published author. So what are some things that you have found work and, and what doesn't? And you don't, even if you don't talk about what doesn't work, what does work? Well, I'll tell you what, what really I think I firmly believe is the number one thing. And this goes for traditional authors and self-published authors. And I just had a, I just had a long conversation with Kevin J. Anderson about this at a thing we went to recently together, um, is you need to develop your own email list. Um, somehow, some way, get a, get a way to collect email addresses, make a list, in some form and fashion that you can send out and let people know when you have new books out, let people know when you're working on a new project, just kind of connect with your readers in some way to, to kind of let them know you're a real person. You have, you know, I, I just, in, in this past fall, my son got married 
And I spent a lot of that time just dropping an occasional email saying, oh my gosh, we had this happen and this happen and we had to find a new caterer. And but that's all right. Your book's still coming out in a couple of weeks. So stay tuned and that kind of thing. And I got huge response back from from readers saying, oh my gosh, we ran through something like that with our wedding, with our family member. And um, you know, it's, it's a way to connect. And And the good news about that is that you have you have that email address forever. Um, so if, if, you know, Amazon were to fall, fold up and die tomorrow, you'd still be able to sell books to everyone on that list if you could figure out a way to get the book to them. Right. Um, and, and, and that's important because right now, if you sell anywhere else, they have that email list. Um, so it really is important to put something in your book that leads to your website that lets people sign up to get on your email list. I think that's, without a doubt, the number one thing. And it takes time to build and it grows organically. Um, but uh, over time, you know, you can develop, before you know it, several hundred or several thousand people on an email list that are your fans. That would Pick a social media platform. You don't have to do all of them. Pick one that kind of matches your personality. You know, some people are take constantly taking pictures on their phone anyway of random things that they run into in their life. So maybe Instagram's a better fit for them. Um, some people just like to randomly talk about, you know, short subjects all day long. And Twitter's a better fit for them. Um, uh, for me, I find Facebook is the best way that I connect with people. Um, but just pick one or two, whatever, that, but pick at least one that you can just feel comfortable with. You don't have to do all of them. It's more important that you're genuine and you actually feel comfortable using the given platform. Um, and then, you know, start up, get yourself a page in a group and just kind of start connecting with people. Yeah, totally. I, 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 I'm glad you mentioned the email list because I've, I've got to send one out. <laughs> I never let them know about the, the Ash Kickers cover being revealed. I, I've just been so busy. But uh, yeah, I, I do Facebook, I do Twitter and Instagram. Probably Instagram is the one that I slack on mostly just because, I don't know, it, it just I don't know what to put on there other than my book covers. And you can yeah, only put the same book way. cover on there so, so much. Um, and yeah, it, it's it's funny that you could probably sell more books or get more attention, for lack of a better word, by just talking about regular stuff. <laughs> I, I feel, I mean, I do marketing and I, I do talk about my books, but, you know, I might get a, a, a couple likes and a few retweets here and there. I, I post something funny about something stupid that has n absolutely nothing to do with anything, and it just the, sh the stuff blows up. <laughs> so I just it's it's the weird. Pictures of my dog and talk about my son's wedding this past year were the two biggest things that got a response on both Facebook and on my email list. Right, um, and and it just I I think the lesson there is that readers just want to know you're just a regular person just like them who has life ups and downs and things that keep you from getting as much work done as you'd like to get done and life getting in the way of everything you, you want to accomplish every now and then. And, and you know, that, that connects them to you so that when your book comes out and, you know, you might have worked in a little a reference to something you dealt with that year into the storyline, they laugh. Yeah. They get it. And, and that's, that's an extra connection, an extra point that you have with them that, makes them happier to wait for your next book. I completely agree. Uh, and I'm, I'm very big on connection. I want to connect with my readers. 
I don't want to sit up here on a pedestal um, as some like, I mean, that's the whole point of the internet, right? It's yeah. connecting people. And, you know, people back in the day couldn't do that other than writing fan letters, you know, yep. via the mail. And now you can just at somebody on Twitter. And what I cannot stand is authors who think they're too big for their britches and they don't like and I'm, I'm sitting over here i'm i'm not just some fanboy i'm an i'm a professional just like you i do the same thing just like you and when i like try to interact with you and you don't respond oh yeah you know and, and i understand people you know it's not that they're bit like they never respond to anybody and it's just like what are you what are you doing like i'm just I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I have the wrong perspective, but I know for me as an author, if somebody says something to me online, A, I'm going to read it, and B, I'm going to respond, either, even if it's just saying, hey, thank you. Uh, you know, I, I just, I don't understand that mentality of, unless people have been burned by like creepy people, I can understand that. But I don't understand that mentality of trying to put yourself up on a pedestal and not coming down to with the the peasants you know i hate that attitude yeah. no and and you know I, it's interesting because i i've run into that with mid-level authors but every time i've met somebody i consider just one of the best authors out there top top of the line a-list authors they've been so approachable so easy to talk to and just just are happy to connect and i think that maybe is the secret to their success um is that they were they are like that yeah. um so that's that's my experience. That's a very good point. And I know there's going to be clicks and stuff. Like when you go to well, conventions, you know, there, there's people who they, they, they came on to the scene together and they, they always go to the same conventions together. And, you know, that's cool. Well, that's friendship. That's different yeah, than that's, just being approachable. Right. You know, that's a, that's a different sort of thing. You know, you, you, we're all going to have those people that we're friends with and prefer to hang out with because we have a shared experience over time together. Right. But it doesn't mean that we can't be, you know, polite and approachable and, and genuine when someone comes up and really actually wants to meet you because they appreciate you in some way. So totally. that's the way I feel about it. So you mentioned conventions. I mean, talk about, talk about connecting with readers. That's one of the favorite things I've discovered over the last couple of years is even going to like, I go to the, there's a local library convention in my county that, you know, maybe has like a thousand people come to it. And it is the most fun. I've First of all, it's only 20 minutes from my house, so it's not a big deal to go to. But getting a table there is just so much fun. I run into people that, didn't even, like, people that know me that didn't even know I write books, which is hilarious because we're friends on Facebook. How could they not know? Um, but <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it weird when – and this has happened to me with, with other authors and like bigger name authors too where they say, oh, hey – Sean, I'm like, you know who I am? You know, <laughs> hey, how was, you know, Firefighters versus Dragons or whatever when, when that came out? And I was like, holy shit, these people know who I am? This is nuts. Uh, and Or when people, the creepy thing, well, not too creepy, but, you know, we, we, we put stuff online and nobody really reacts to it uh, or interacts with you about it. But every so often, if you see them out at a convention or something, they'll say, oh, hey, you know, I saw that you did such and such. And like, wow, I completely forgot about that. That was like two years ago. What are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 kind of fun. I mean, just to see, like I said, I mean, there's people out there that, that don't have an inflated vision of themselves. And so they, you know, they just interact naturally with people, I think, just as if they were just colleagues in any workplace. And that's kind of cool. Right. I guess I guess the whole 
lesson to be learned, I guess, for, for listeners is, you know, when, once you do get out there and, and either self-publish or, or do get signed with a traditional publisher, don't change, you know, don't act yeah. like you've gotten some golden ticket and, you know, in life as with any professional pursuit, be it firefighter or a medic or nurse, you know, don't get a chip on your shoulder and think, you know, you're hot shit and better than everybody else. Cause everyone around you will see it and, and think negatively about that. And they won't yeah, buy your books. <laughs> well, no. And that's, that's exactly it. And everybody has their own, you know, secret sauce that, that makes their books special. And I, I'm actually a firm believer. I don't think we actually are in competition with each other, honestly, because I don't think we can write books fast enough to keep the readers happy. Even now with all the authors that are out there. Yeah. Um, because they're constantly readers going, well, I still, I need a next book to read. Who knows what I can read next? Clearly, they aren't finding the books they want. So we just need to keep going and, and you know, anything we can do to support each other and, and share. I, I love, you know, interacting with authors that have similar books to mine because I know my readers will like those books. And in between while they're waiting for my next book to come out, hey, I want to tell my readers, hey, I was looking at this. I re- read it. It's pretty cool. You might enjoy it. And my next book's coming out and whenever. And in the meantime, read this one. Um, yeah. They appreciate that, and and the authors appreciate it, the readers appreciate it, and and I'm happy to help out. And I think that that's a that's another way that you can you can really get a go a long way in marketing your yourself, and both to other authors and to readers. Call it karma or the golden rule yep. or whatever, but yeah, I I try to retweet. Uh, someone's good news if they got a deal or if they got a book coming out the cover if I've read it obviously you know and loved it I, I try to I try to do that because I know that if I was on the other side I'd, I'd want people doing that for me as well um, but yeah just being nice you know mm-hmm. like <laughs> Patrick Swayze from Roadhouse just be nice just yeah, be just, nice it's that's, not that's that a great hard. way to put that I hadn't thought about that in forever but that's so true <laughs> Roadhouse yeah well and the rest of the quote is yeah, kudos be nice Roadhouse reference, dude. That's that's like deep, deep reference, <laughs> pop culture reference there. <laughs> I'm full of 80s and 90s uh, pop culture references, uh, and, and a lot of my books reflect that. Um, but yeah, just be nice. It's not that hard. Uh, <laughs> Dalton's rule. Um, yep. So, man, 30, 30 books out, and that's in. Four or five years, that's crazy. Uh, wh- what are some writing habits that you've developed? What, what, works, what works for you and how do you approach the process? Okay, well, um, I will preface this by saying what works for me may not work for you, so find your system and stick with it um, and always try to improve. So that's something I do all the time. Um, every time I start a new project, I take something that an editor has told me from the previous project um, and I incorporate that into my process in some way, um, yeah, whether it's a gr- grammar thing, um, whether it's a, a developmental editing thing. I, I try to you know, improve my story writing all the time. So that's one thing. Um, my process in general is uh, I get up every morning around three or four in the morning and I write for about three, three and a half hours straight. Now, for me, that's often when I'm actually doing a first draft, that's dictation time. Um, and you know, so that's that's I'm, I'm alone in my office and everyone's asleep at the house, and so I can get a lot done. Um, and that's my quiet time. That's my creative time. Um, 
and so then the rest of my day is spent with um, some editing and, and things like that, um, marketing projects and, and the administrative work of being a self-published author. Um, but really the, the sweet spot for me is that quiet time in the morning. And, and often what I do is the night before when I go to bed, I'll look, look over the story beats for the chapters that I'm writing the next day. And just kind of let them percolate and then go to sleep. And I really think my brain works on them while I'm down. You know, I, I think my brain's kind of running the story ideas. And so when I wake up in the morning and I get something to drink and I sit down and I start t- thinking about where I'm going to get started on the next chapter. It, it, once I get started, it just starts to flow. And, and for me, that, that has worked out really well. Um, before I started dictating, that process was very similar. It just was typing instead of dictating. But um, I think that for me, the, the early, mor- early morning's best. I know a lot of people who write late at night after the family goes to bed. The key seems to be a quiet house yes. for most people. Solitude and quiet. Or at least yeah. headphones <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> to block it out. Man, Jamie, when do you sleep? Um, I go to bed at like eight o'clock, eight thirty, nine o'clock at latest. Um, so I'm in bed early. So um, I, I used to be a night owl. It's funny. I used to be a night owl, and I turned fifty a couple of years back, and my clock shifted. Like I used to stay up every night till twelve, one o'clock in the morning, and then bounce out and go to work in the morning. And then my clock shifted, and I started waking up in the middle of the night and had to go to bed earlier. And I just kind of put, I said, well, if this is the way it's going to be, damn it, I may as well do something useful with my time. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Everybody, oh, circadian rhythms and stuff. Yeah. And, and uh, Growing old sucks, man. And stuff starts falling and dro- drooping and your clocks change and good God, it's awful. I need I need more sleep than that. I couldn't do the whole three. Every, every day recently, I've been trying to wake up at four o'clock in the morning before I go to the firehouse. And you know, go run or something. Never happens. I w- you know, I'll either wake up right before the alarm and say "f you" and then <laughs> set it to when I have to get up to get ready for work. Uh, but I, I just can't. Ugh, I can't do it. But that's no, a- you're absolutely right. And and I don't think I would have been able to do this before that shift in my schedule happened. Um, I would have had to. I would have been one of those people writing late at night. Um, because I wouldn't have been able to find the quiet time otherwise. So it just, like I said, your mileage may vary. Find the process that works for you, but this is what works for me. And I'm, as long as it's working for me, I'm going to stick with it. And I think that's the key. I do it every day, um, even on vacation. Um, I try to at least get um, 2,000 words in every single day. Um, and that's how you turn a lot of books out. Very true. And yeah, like you said, everybody's process is different. It's very individual. That's why I'm, I'm, I try to never give writing advice unless it's very vague. <laughs> well, and that's why, when, that's why when people ask me, I always start out with that same statement every single time. Everyone has their own way. There's no system that is, is right for everyone. So... Take pieces of what I do and make them work if they work for you. If they don't, throw them out and try something else. Um, this is what works for me. And it came about through trial and error and trying different things. And so you need to find what works for, for you as an author. And, and I think that's the most important lesson that I can teach people about writing is just write. Find what works for you and just write. Even if you can only get 500 words a day in, that's still a novel a year. And that's great. Yeah. Now, you have a po- a new podcast with Michael Evan, do you not? 
I do, and I'm excited. Now, we just actually just released the first episode, which is an interview with Michael Evan himself about the Fantasy Focus um, Facebook group and the fantasy-focus.com website um, where the podcast will live. Uh, and it's the Fantasy Focus podcast. It's not yet showing up in iTunes, so you'll have to hold on. I don't know when this episode of yours is coming out, Sean, but it'll be um, we'll be having some pretty big authors coming on, and it should sh- start showing up in the podcast directories probably about mid-February. I want to say I saw that L.E. Modisset is going to be on yep. the podcast. We, we have some amazing – and this comes down to Michael because um, – Michael just said, well, I'm just going to reach out to people and, and see what they say. And he's been, he's been amazed, as we talked about earlier, uh, that uh, the bigger names are the ones that return the emails first. Well, yeah, they want to talk about their books just like anybody else. And, and I think it goes back to like you were saying that the more popular authors are the ones who are more open and nice and not stuck up and reserved. Yeah. Yeah, so we've got some amazing people coming up, and I'm just pulling up my calendar right now to look at it because it's pretty exciting what we have on the schedule. Um, we have Nicholas Eames. Yeah. Um, we have uh, Rosemary Johns. Yeah. So we got no, a bunch so of you're just, So you guys are just picking up my leftovers after <laughs> – <laughs> I'm not aware, but if that's I'm just case, kidding. I, you know what? I will take leftovers from you, dude. You have a great podcast, and if that's the way it's got to work, I'll I'll take it because you have a great show, and and uh, it's it's already it was instantly subscribed, and it's on my to listen list every week now. So oh, very well, cool. Hey, I appreciate it, and I'll definitely check out the Fantasy Focus podcast as well uh, because yeah, you guys are probably score some bigger names than I'll be able to get to get. Michael Evan is man, that dude can hustle. Uh, yeah, as far absolutely. as promotion and, and things like that. Uh, and uh, I highly recommend any authors out there who are looking for uh, somebody to kind of run their promotion to, to check him out. Uh, he's always in the Fantasy Focus group. Yep, on and Facebook. I will second that. Yes. Uh, he, he's really good. And uh, he, he's hooked me up with some awesome people who, who, I'm, who I was already friends with, but I just didn't it just didn't click in my head hey you should ask so and so uh he's very good about suggesting uh uh, people to have on the show so i'm very thankful for him to do that uh jamie we're gonna wrap things up but uh can you tell everyone where they can find you Uh, i'll definitely link your website but if you could tell them what it is and uh the social media links that you're on yeah, well, you can find me on most social media platforms under the handle PodMedic. So, is in podcasting medic, if you think of it in those terms. Um, that's my been my handle for so long, I can't change it now. So, um, so if you look up PodMedic, Facebook.com slash PodMedic, and Twitter.com slash PodMedic, and Instagram.com slash PodMedic, you'll find me there. Um, and, uh, and, and you can find my website at jamiedavisbooks.com. And I thought I'd put together something special for your audience, so only your people are going to get this. But if they want to try the first in my Extreme Medical Services series, they can get it for free over there at a special link, jamiedavisbooks.com slash Sean. So S-E-A-N, jamiedavisbooks.com slash Sean. Nice. um, Get a free book. Try it out. If you like it, great. If you don't like it, you know, put it in the discard pile, but get a free ebook that way and uh, check out the book. You can't beat free. That's awesome. Nope. That's the first time I've had a discount code named after me. I'm honored, well, well, Jamie. I, I'm I'm happy to do it. And um, you know, talk about we talked about marketing earlier. It's about 
you know, connecting with people. And so I hope this, hopefully this helps people find uh, something to read. For sure. Now, before we go, I remembered what I did want to uh, talk about. Uh, and this would be a nice little cap on the show. But can you tell me what is the worst call that you've ever ran on and the funniest call that you've ever run on? Mm, gotta be careful with this one. Yeah, well, you know, it's the whole that. medical thing. Um, but um, worst call I ever went on was right after I got my EMT and um, was a, a motor vehicle accident car versus a pretty big boulder off right off the side of the road, and um, the car caught fire, and I was the first one on the scene by myself with a pretty serious burn victim, and that sticks with me to this day. It's um, you know, that's one of those calls that wakes me up in the middle of the night sometimes. But those are, that's part of the job. You just take it as you get it. Yeah, very true. What's the funniest uh-huh. call? Funniest call. Wow. You know, I had this guy once. I picked up. A, he was a, a guy that was a homeless person. Um, and we were driving to the hospital. And he started talking about the fact that he had this dagger that he prayed to because it looked like a cross and it had an eagle's head on it and he would hold it up in front of himself and pray to it and i'm you know thinking it's just normal crazy conversation from a homeless person and i smiled and i was polite um and then he said he had it on him and Mm. i like said said wanted to show it to me and i'm like no 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 (laughs) and i actually pushed him gently back into the stretcher and tightened the the seat belts across his stomach and chest and he got this pained look on his face but i didn't think anything of it um and i called it had my driver call ahead to the hospital saying we had a patient with a weapon that wasn't immediately dangerous, but we'd like to have security meet us at the ER entrance. And there was a cop and two security guards and they're waiting for us when we got there. And we got this guy down on the stretcher and into the, you know, into the entrance to the ER. And they asked him where the knife was. And he says, I've been laying on it. And so we sat him, unbuckled him, sat him up. And he had this, it was a letter opener. Oh, and it had this eagle's head on it with a beak and the beak was facing right into his back so when i pressed him down into the stretcher yep and tightened the straps that beak was pressing right up against his spine and that's why he made that pained look because mm. i basically like tortured him for like 10 minutes on the ride to the hospital um and you know, it's kind of funny but it's also you know one of those things pay attention to what's going on around you and and you know situational uh, awareness situational awareness um i feel awful about that to this day in a different <laughs> way for you know like i mean i wasn't i don't think i did anything wrong because i didn't know what kind of knife he had i certainly didn't want him pulling it out and showing it to me in the ambulance it was just me back there by myself so you know, it, it wasn't wrong, but it, I felt bad about it. And, you know, it was really, it was this little dinky, little cheap metal letter opener that probably wouldn't have hardly caused damage to an envelope. So, um, anyway, that's the Still. funny story. Oh, I've got so many. <laughs> um, <laughs> one time we ran on a domestic dispute call and uh, we got there and the sister said that her brother had bitten her. And her brother was over in the corner in his underwear like going "Ah, ah," looking like Gollum from the Lord of the Rings and uh, I go why'd you bite her and he's like because I'm a werewolf and he starts howling that's perfect (laughs) (laughs) this should be in one of my books (laughs) 
take 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 it i'm not going to use it um and uh another one was okay this was a fire call we get a call for uh smoke coming from a structure when we get there the door is unlocked and there's a burnt chicken on the stove and we can't find anybody in the house and the door was unlocked and then my captain goes and looks outside through the window and he's like there's somebody in there so i rush in i kick the door open and in the room on the tv is some of the raunchiest porn i've ever seen in my life and this dude is naked and just like unresponsive and we're like what the hell is going on and my captain's like almost seven feet tall and he's looking over this dude and the dude just suddenly wakes up and goes "Ah!" and freaks out and my captain's like get dressed we'll be out here see you in a second it's cover yourself and and (laughs) the best the best firefighter stories i hear is when they're doing overhaul and they find the drawer full of sex toys Yeah, I've never had that. But what's funny about that story is that uh, his uh, wife shows up. Oh, wow. uh, As as after, you know, he's turned off his porn and uh, gotten dressed. And she's in a chef's outfit or uniform. And so he's... (laughs) He's locked himself away to crank one out while she's gone. And worst case, or make, to make matters worse, he's burned a chicken and he's married to a chef. So he's uh, like wow. two for two. Yeah, that's not and good. I, no. Anyway, I got like dozens more we could talk about. Oh, I'll bet. But Jamie, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show and uh, definitely come back anytime you want. Yeah, and I'm definitely going to get you on um, my new podcast, too, because it'd be great to chat again and tell my new new and growing audience uh, about all your books. Hey, man, I'd love it. Thank you so much.